Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 104, verses 24 to 34. Uh, in your pew Bible, it's pages 557 and 558. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Ezekiel 37, 10 through 14. It's on your pew Bible page, 799. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophecy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open, <clears throat> when I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Today's New Testament reading is from Acts 11, 15 through 17, and it's on your um, Pew Bible page 1015. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on him as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them this, the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? I asked Linda to do this spotlight on Vacation Bible School because it's one of the ministries of our church and because we're going to be doing spotlights on various ministries of our church with some regularity. Um, this is a service to you because it's very difficult for this particular body to commit to a church and business meeting. And so rather than having 20 reports in an evening that three people come to, we're going to spread them out through the year and just share you, with you the good news about the ministries of this church and what's happening at Vacation Bible School has been a source of uh, inspiration. We've, we've actually uh, gained members through Vacation Bible School in the years that I've been here. So it's really, yeah, it's really worth supporting and worth volunteering for. I volunteer every year. Well, do I ever get to volunteer? I have to think about that. But anyway, I'm here every year. I have a great time uh, playing with the kids and encouraging the staff and having many meaningful conversations along the way. 
And uh, whatever your age group or interests, like Linda said, there's some way that you can find yourself involved and supportive. So look, I look forward to uh, more of these kinds of, of reports. We're in a, an interesting juxtaposition of, of holidays. This is Memorial Day weekend. Last night I spent uh, three meaningful hours with uh, Jonathan Wilcox, who's the guest conductor for uh, Cantori Domino and the uh, Memorial Day concert coming up at St. Augustine's by the Sea tomorrow. One piece is called Light Eternal, and it's based on a number of poems and even borrows from John chapter 1, and is a piece he wrote himself. The other is Durafle's Requiem, and it's so beautiful, it just defies uh, really description. But the intent of the concert is to memorialize, it's to remember. It's to speak of those who have passed, acknowledging the horror of war on the one hand and the fear and deprivation of soldiering life, the bravery, the needless bloodshed, and the self-sacrifice. It's a way of acknowledging all that has been in that and those who have made that supreme sacrifice laying down their lives for freedom and country, for God. And it's a, a national holiday designed to help us hopefully recount the costs as well of war. And what a terrible toll. One of the poems is taken from a World War I uh, poet or a poet who commented on that. There, was, uh, there were hundreds of thousands of people killed in single battles in World War I. It, it, the carnage is unimaginable. Does anybody know the current death toll for Afghanistan or Iraq? American soldiers lost? Anybody know the current? Three? I think it was three a couple years ago. It, it's a little more than that now. Three and five respectively? That sounds, it's, 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 uh, it's still below 10,000, I believe. And that it seems to us at this juncture in history an unimaginable loss. Unimaginable. And yet millions and millions have died in conflicts before us. And so I would just take a minute of precious time and have us just pause for a moment and reflect on what that all means and who the God of peace and life calls us to be in light of this. Take a minute. May these who have lost their lives rest in peace and ultimately enter your life eternal, O Lord. Amen. The second facet of this holiday is that it's a Christian holiday coming up, uh, normally celebrated tomorrow, known as Pentecost, or observance, known as Pentecost. When we read Acts, we find that after the crucifixion, the disciples and followers of Jesus were gathered still in an upper room. He made appearances, there was uh, an ascension, 
and a promise of a comforter who would be sent. Turn to Acts chapter 2. You know the story. Let's just go through it together. Acts chapter 2. I'm reading starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before every before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is Peter's address to the crowd. This is his summary and recap of the prophet Joel's words and integration of that into what was happening at this moment of Pentecost, the early church. I just want to take a minute and bridge this to something that we talk about a lot, but I want you to think of in terms of the larger picture of life. I don't know, first of all, that I'm ever going to see tongues descending, dividing, of fire. I don't know what that means. When we see portrayals of of saints done through the the church artists through the years, it's a tongue of fire resting on the head or perhaps a glow or some sort of halo effect. I don't know what it was. I know that when God appears to Elijah, there's fire and he says, that's not me. There's wind and he says, that's not me. There's earthquake and he says, that's not me. Listen for the still small voice. So whatever phenomena is being witnessed and is occurring, it's not a consuming fire. It's like the fire of the presence of God in the burning bush, isn't it? It's a symbol that all present have come to stand on holy ground. Something extraordinary is happening with the presence, the visible presence of a living God in whom 
something can be burning and not burn up. It's like the four worthies. Three worthies, actually, but there's a fourth who's like the Son of God who stands among them as they're cast into the smelting furnaces on the plain of Dura. Seven times hotter these furnaces have been made, and yet they walk about unsinged. Holy fire. Holy fire. So whatever's going on, they are not only visited with this symbol of God's very special and holy presence, but they began to speak in tongues. There are Christian brothers and sisters of ours who have prayer languages. I don't pretend to understand. I don't know that those languages will ever be mine to speak or yours to speak because these kinds of gifts are given for the edification of the body and frankly I think it would just disturb, scare, and anger us. That's not our thing. But in addition to the sort of glossolalia the Bible speaks of, here in the story of Acts chapter 2, it isn't just a prayer language or a sort of mumble-jumble that, that somebody is saying. It is words that are spoken that are being heard as a language by another person from another country. You just heard me read the entire list, right? People from all over the then known world are there. The Jews have been scattered. What we call the diaspora or the scattering of the Jews has already taken place. Israel has fallen and Judah has fallen. We are now post the time of Christ and the Roman Empire has it all. And Jews don't live in Jerusalem anymore exclusively or in Israel, what was known as Israel. They live all over the known world at this point in time. But they've come back to worship. They've come back. And as they're there in Jerusalem, they're hearing this phenomena take place, this wind, this noise. They're coming to investigate. And as they witness, they see, they hear the gospel now being told in their language. Maybe that's why they're called tongues of fire. In this visitation, God is making sure that something extraordinary is going to propel this movement, this people. It's going to enliven it. You see, Christ had died and they were scared and miserable and almost hopeless and he appeared to them and courage and comfort came. He, and he appeared to them and they began to recount the words that he said and understand who he was. He ascended and they were again discouraged although he had promised something. And now they were going to be empowered and equipped once again. The command Jesus had given to do the things that I have done would be fulfillable, or could be fulfilled rather, because of this new presence, this holy fire, this gifting that was taking place. Let's drop back to Ezekiel, to our story there. It was so nicely read a few minutes ago. Ezekiel 37, keep your finger in Acts or your uh, Bible marker or whatever you have on you and turn to Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel for those of you who are struggling.
Now this prophecy is, is most often read and understood in terms of the end of time, but that's uh, us looking back several thousand years. The prophecy had valid validation in the time it was given as well. I'm going to start reading in verse 1 this time. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. So in a vision, Ezekiel is transported to this place, this valley full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now this is significant. If you've been to Israel, you understand or maybe you don't understand yet, but you might someday understand the significance of this. When people were buried, they were first laid out and anointed with spices, and they were permitted to decay, basically. And as they decayed and uh, rotted away, their, their bones were left, and their bones were bleached, put in the sun to bleach, and dried, and then they were put in little sarcophagi, basically, small caskets made of stone. And these little sarcophagi would be buried in little niche holes in a family cave or tomb, even a Roman-style above-ground sort of thing. So one of the reasons that they preserved the bones and it was so important that a grave not be desecrated by the way in the time of christ and before there was a death penalty for the desecration of a grave did you know that grave robbers were were crucified grave robbers were were killed to desecrate a grave was a terrible terrible violation of all that was held sacred and these bones were sacred because it was going to be the material from which God resurrected. How did God make Eve? Well, in the narrative, Adam is put to sleep and what is borrowed from him? A rib. And what is a rib? A bone. And from this bone, what does God do? Creates life, makes woman. Right? So... In this vision, Ezekiel is in this place where bones have been scattered, graves have been desecrated. He's in this place where the bones aren't just recently decayed, they're dry bones. There's not a lot to work with there. And the question is, can God bring life of these bones? This is the vision that he's having. Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin and I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? He is the what first? Yeah, he's the ground of being. He's the I am, I heard someone saying. He is the creator and he's the redeemer restorer. And so the prophecy is, though you're dead, you're going to live. I'll reattach 
sinew. I'll reform you. I will breathe into you spirit and breath of life. I will reanimate you. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise and a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone, and I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. That sounds kind of creepy, doesn't it? (laughs) Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, ruach, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood to their feet a vast army. Now hear the word of the Lord. We all know that song, right? Them bones in, bones in, dry bones in, bones in, bones in, dry bones in, bones in, bones in, dry bones in. Now hear the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lee. All right. Somebody knows that song. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord, because this is the Lord who said to Abraham, go to the land that I will show you and give you for an inheritance. You'll know that it's me because I have recreated you and I have established you in the land. Now, the title of my sermon is Quickening. And if you look that up, it can mean to make something faster. It can mean several things. But the meaning I have for you this morning is a quickening is a bringing back to life. An enlivening. In this Memorial Day, what we would pray is that the sacrifice of soldiers not be in vain, even though we know in context of individual battles, even individual wars, it may well have been. We honor them nonetheless. But we experience a death without dying ourselves, do we not? When Jesus had died, hope had left the earth as far as the disciples were concerned initially. But his reappearance reinvigorated that hope. And then this spirit manifestation reinvigorated the hope all over again. It launched something new, something alive. And in these stories of Acts chapter 2 and again Acts chapter 11 and Ezekiel 37, in these Narratives in these prophecies, we find a quickening. God says to Israel, you've been decimated and scattered. But I'm going to show you, you're going to live. Okay, people of God, yes, we look forward to that in the resurrection day. The sound of the last trumpet. There's an eschatological fulfillment to all of this but I don't believe that's the primary message of Ezekiel 37. 
And I don't believe it's the primary message of Acts chapter 2. At this time of Pentecost, it's about you and Allah and I and our dry bones coming to life. It's about standing in the presence of a consuming fire that doesn't consume. It's about the dryness of our bones being resinued and reformed with flesh and covered in skin and breathed into the breath of life. It's about enlivenment and not just corporeal life, physical life, but it's about coming alive spiritually, about prophesying, about fulfilling Joel, about saying things. In one moment of mystery and having another in another language hear and understand. Those miracles occur today, by the way. The Holy Spirit does, still does this. So in this season, my prayer is that each of us can experience a quickening. We've been through the resurrection. We understand as much as we can the ascension. And now we're gathered in this room. Are we a heap of scattered bones? And if we are, shall I prophesy? Speak to these bones. I will gather them. I will put sinew on them and flesh and skin and breathe into them the breath of life that they may live. God, by his spirit, will quicken you and me, will bring us to life that we might speak the word of the Lord, that we might know that he is creator, the one who establishes in the land, who sustains us and cares for us and protects us, who is our God and our Redeemer. This is our hope. This is our reality. This is the quickening I hope each of us seeks. Quicken us, Lord, by your Spirit that we may come alive and be alive and have our being, breath, and life in you. In Jesus' name.